heaven ring rings with the harmonies of liberty. Let our rejoicing rise high as the listening skies. Let it resound loud as the rolling sea. Sing a song full of the faith that the dark path has taught us. Sing a song full of the hope that the present has taught us. Facing the rising sun of our new days begun, let us march on till victory is won. And God of our weary years, God of our silent tears, Thou who has brought us thus, thus far, on the way, thou who has by thy might led us into the light, keep us forever in the path, we pray. Lest our, lest our feet stray from the places, our God, where we met Thee. Lest our hearts, drunk from the wine of the world, we forget Thee. Shadowed beneath Thy hand, may we forever stand true to our God, true to our native land. Our scripture reading today will be found in 1 Peter 2, verse 16. As, a free, as free, yet not using your liberty, as a cloak of vice, as servants of God. May God bless the reading of his word. Um, I forgot to remind you to check that insert that's in your bulletin about VBS and some other things, so please remember to do that for me. Thank you. I'm just going to give you a quick intro to our speaker this morning. It's something I listened to a couple of times this past week. And it really moved me, and I wanted to share it with you. Our speaker is Dr. David Gibbs. 
He's for 50 years, he has had a ministry. He's an attorney where he represents Christians that are being uh, challenged legally. And he has, he has quite an extensive legal ministry to, to help Christians. So he knows what he's talking about when it comes to the First Amendment and are the perils to our freedoms. He's experienced here in the United States these very things. And uh, in, in lieu of the signs of the times, I thought it was something that we needed to share this morning. So Dr. David Gibbs. Magnificent music, magnificent Christ-honoring music. I love your choir here, Doctor. I've said this everywhere I go. I believe in America it should be perfectly legal to shoot a bad choir. I just be able to stand up and put them out of their misery because a choir can dig a hole that no preacher can get out of. And boy, the music is just, Brother Thompson, thank you, thank you for all of your great energy and work in putting all of this together. Thank you, my brother. And I appreciate all of the instruments that were played. Uh, I'm an old trumpet player from way back. And so I always tell young people, when you're looking for a mate, check out the trumpet players. They make great kissers later in life. They really do. But now whatever you do, don't marry a tuba player. They'll blow your brains out, all right? So just watch that one a little carefully. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts, the book of Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. I have been richly, richly blessed by all of the presentations, by all of the material that's been presented. The lectures have been just stellar. And if for whatever the reason you couldn't get to them, please be sure that you take the time to do so. I consider myself fairly well-read in all these areas. I deal with it every day. But I learned a lot. I mean, my heart was touched. And I want the people in our ministry, the, the people that are here with me, boy, we want to make sure that this message gets out. Can I remind you the First Amendment to a child of God is by far the most essential amendment we have? I'm thankful for everything that's in the documents of the Constitution. But the one that God's people have to have is the First Amendment. The right to freely practice our faith. Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of religion, nor prohibiting the free exercise thereof. And now when everything's under assault saying, well, what that means is you can believe what you want to believe, but you can't do anything with it. That is not what the amendment says. It says nor prohibiting the free exercise. And I've had the privilege to quote that in courtrooms and in legislatures all across America. And boy, thank you, doctor, for having this conference. Dr. Secton, it is so incredibly needed. And we spoke of the unalienable rights given by God. And can I remind you, every right of which it speaks is found in the word of God. How many of you are thankful we have a Bible that is God's revelation? Amen. And boy, that's where it all sits. I want to ask you a serious question. 
Have you ever messed up really simple instructions? Uh, have you ever misread a road map? How many of you here ever misread a road map? How many of you got lost because you wouldn't even look at a road map, right? <laughs> have you ladies ever misread a recipe? Uh, how many of you men had to eat what they misread? <laughs> yeah, look at the hands. Wow. Every one of us has stories about how we got misdirected. My wife and I, when our kids were small, rented a motor home to take our first really nice family vacation together. And the motor came, came with a wonderful volume of instructions. The fellow we rented it from said, look, read the book. Everything you need to know is in the book. And it was. I mean, we went and set up camp at the Percy Priest Lake in Nashville, Tennessee, and we're sitting there and just having a grand old time. And one morning during breakfast, my wife came out. I'm sitting there with our three kids at the time. And she said, there's a little red light growing, glowing in the hall. It's lit, lit up. It's, what is that? I said, I have no idea. I didn't even know there was a light there. So I went and looked. Sure enough, it's about the size of a dime, and it's just glowing red. So I got the book. Lights, hall, red. There it is. It says, when that light comes on, your holding tanks are full. How many of you all know what holding tanks are? <laughs> if you've never been camping, all the nonsense you put down into the restroom and everything goes into a holding tank. And it said, you have to immediately go empty the tanks. Now, I told you exactly how to do it. It said, find where the sewer station is. I found that. It said, position the motor home and put the left tire right by the sewer. I did that. Then it said, there is a hose, a sewer hose, in the bumper. And I told my wife, that can't be right. I've been by that bumper a hundred times. There's no hose in it. But it said, pull the cap off the end. I pulled it off. Now it said, look in there. And sure enough, there was a hose in there. And so I pulled it out. And then it said, go over and go where the sewer valve is and hook it up run it along the ground, and they showed pictures and put it down. It said, now you're halfway there. Now go around the other side. And it said, right over the tire on the other side is an air valve. And it said, in order for the tanks to enter empty with full force, I'll never forget the sentence, It said, in order for the tanks to empty with full force, put 10.5 pounds of air pressure into the tank. Only I didn't see that little dot. And I thought it said, put 105 pounds of pressure in the tank. Now there was an air pump right there. So I told my wife, you go around the other side. You do the easy job. I'll put the air in. And when I tell you, you just pull the valve. That's all you got to do. And while we're getting all of this set up, a man with a brand spanking new, incredibly expensive, converted bus, fresh from the factory, pulled in right next to us. I mean, this bus costs more money than my home that I was living in times five. I'm looking at his bus. He said, you like my bus? I said, well, it's gorgeous. 
He said, just picked it up from the factory. Don't have anything in the tanks. I just want to get the dust out of the tanks. I said, wow, you're fastidious. My wife said, well, come on, we got more than dust in ours. Let's get back to work here. So I went over this side, and man, I plugged that in. And you remember the old air pumps that used to go ding, 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 ding? They would ring a bell. Well, that thing's going ding, 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 ding. It took forever to get 100 pounds in there. <laughs> Finally, my wife came back, and she said, what's taking so long? And I used the perfect response. I said, it takes time to do it right. Ladies, when we say that, that means we don't know what we're doing. Look out. She said, well, I got a question. I said, what's that? She said, how come that tank is bulging? And I looked in the wheel well, and it was. It was bulging. I said, it's made to do that. Finally, I said, you go around on your side. Man, I held that up there forever. I got 105 pounds in there. What happened next will never leave my mind. When I told my wife, pull the valve. The nonsense in that holding tank that our kids had put there went whooping down the hose, took the hose and brought it up, and the hose is going all over that brand new bus. About 50, 60 feet away was a kiddie pool. We went all over those little kitties. I came running around, and here's my wife hugging this hose. She said, help me, Jesus, help me. What a mess. What a mess. I wish I could tell you that's the most serious mistake I've ever made. But let me tell you one I see all the time. We want to do God's work man's way. We want to go take a stand and use man's wisdom. In spite of the fact that God says, lean not unto your own understanding. And so all of a sudden we're out here in this incredible battle for religious liberty. And we're trying to do it our way. And God says, I don't think you read the book. I don't think you saw the directions. In Acts chapter 3, Peter and Paul, as you know, have gone into the temple to pray and to teach. There's a crippled man there. He's begging alms. And he approaches them for money, and you know what Peter said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I unto you. Now don't miss this. He had something. When you and I take our stand in this world, in our blessed nation, Do we have something more than ourselves? Such as I have, give I unto thee. And the man, by the grace of God, was healed. Now immediately in chapter 4, the authorities get involved. 
And we have this confrontation between these great men of God and the authorities. And look at what it said in chapter 4. They came after them. And they took the disciples and then verse 7, and when they had set them in the midst, they asked, by what power or by what name have ye done this? That's a fair question. By what power or by what name are we doing this? Now we just celebrated Easter. And boy, we understand it was by the power of God that Jesus, the Son of God, was raised from the dead, came out of that tomb, and rose again. But you know what it says in Romans 8? The very power which raised Jesus from the dead is in you. And the power that quickened Jesus will quicken you too. I'm afraid I'm too often, well, man, let's just get at it. We'll go in here. We'll, we'll just give it our best shot. And God says, no, no, no. I want you to understand in whose name and in whose power are you doing this? And they immediately tried to shut him down. They said, how did you do this? And look at verse 12. They said, we'll tell you, it's by the one that you crucified. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby ye must be saved. And immediately they put him in prison. But in verse 13, they said they saw the boldness of Peter and John. Have you and I got a holy boldness? Now they brought him out of prison the next day. And in verse 17, but that it spread no further among the people, let us straightly threaten the people, let us straightly threaten them that they speak henceforth to no man in his name. But in verse 20 he said, For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. They had something. And I want to submit to you, God wants you to have it, he wants me to have it. That power in Jesus' name. I'm so thankful for the First Amendment. But now it's under siege. It's under unparalleled attack. And we have great liberty under this amendment. But for now, going on a hundred years, the courts have said the First Amendment only applies to beliefs which are, and these are their words, truly held. Truly held. And they use the word conviction. And they said everybody in their faith has preferences and convictions. Preferences are things you believe, but you're willing to abandon them. You'd like to do them, you want to do them, but you don't want to pay a price for them. They're just preferences. Convictions are things you would be willing to die for. And my question tonight is what in your life as a child of God, would you be willing to die for? Now the court has pointed out, and I want you to write these down, 
there's five things that cause people to abandon their faith. And the courts are clear the First Amendment only protects truly held convictional beliefs. But write these five down because they're all five at work in our culture. They said the first thing that will cause a person to change their belief is the opposition of friends. Can friends talk you out of your belief? Well, yeah, we all used to believe that. That was where we all stood. But <laughs> we're not there anymore. Come on, come on. You've you got to come off that. You've got to get off that. And all of a sudden, peer pressure and friends. I can't believe the things that I'm watching abandoned in this hour. And the pull of friends on friends. Wanting to make them abandon their stand. And the law says if your friends can move you off of it, it's not protected. Write the second one down. After the opposition of friends is the opposition of enemies. Can threats cause you? Mean threats, powerful threats. Threats where they take you to task in all kinds of social media and, and, and threats where you're, you're blistered in the newspaper, blistered on the internet. Will those threats back you off? You say, well, <laughs> I've had enough. I've had enough. Well, that means it's not a conviction. If your friends can dislodge you and if threats can dislodge you, then there's a third one. Lawsuits. Lawsuits. Boy, that's what we deal with every day in our ministry. Are you willing to be sued for the faith even if you can't win? If you came and we look at it and say, you're absolutely right, but the law right now is against you, Humanly speaking, you won't prevail. And by the way, we've watched God do miracle after miracle after miracle in courtrooms. But would a lawsuit back you up? You know, it's one thing. People come up to me all the time when they read our newsletter we send out every month. And they say, boy, the lawsuits in your newsletter are so interesting. And I always warn them, a lawsuit's only interesting if it's not your lawsuit. When it's your lawsuit, it's terrifying. And when somebody goes after your house or your deacon's houses and their retirements or they go after the church assets, it used to be when I started this 50 years ago, they didn't want to go after the church assets. Now they want to and they do. Would a lawsuit back you off your faith? Number four. Would jail back you off? We've heard of these great men of yesteryear, how many of them faced incarceration. You say, well, going to jail is just like going to a holiday inn. You've never been in a jail if you think that. And I'm telling you, jail is an enemy to me. I do everything in my power to keep God's people out of jail. But I've watched great, great soldiers of the cross get put in jail. And watching them put handcuffs on and leg irons on and walk a man of God, walk a woman of God into jail. We've had a policy our entire time. If a pastor 
or Christians in jail on Christmas Day, I go spend the day with them. They don't allow visitors to come in, but they have to let the lawyers in. Jail's a terrible thing. Would you be willing to give up your liberty for the faith? The last one the court said is death. Now I pray that never comes here. But it has certainly come in other lands. Do you understand for doing what we're doing here tonight, there are people, if their government catches them doing this, they kill them. And here we are. What would cause you to abandon your faith, to change your faith? What are you willing to die for? Well, I want to give you six things just briefly that I believe every child of God should be willing to die for. Should be willing to take peer pressure on or the enemy should be willing to do lawsuits, should be willing to go to jail, should be willing to face death, because it should be covered by our First Amendment. Write these six down, and you'll come up with many more. But these are six that I've seen over and over again. Here's the first one. We should be willing to die for the right to witness, to tell people about Jesus Christ. Do you understand the disciples were put to death for sharing the gospel, plain and simple. Now, I've had judges say to me, well, I don't hear any of your people witnessing hardly ever. And I hope that's not true of you. Man, I hope you're fervent in your witness. But nothing can cause us to lose the right to witness faster or more devastating than by us not exercising it. Wow. Wow. We've never had nicer looking tracks. Uh, we've never had better materials. We've never had better training methods. And we've never done it less. But we should be willing to say, my Savior commands me. Mark sixteen fifteen, Go into all the world. The Great Commission. Would you be willing to give up everything to keep your right to worship? mercy. I had a pastor who was in real trouble. Uh, he went to a New England town and they passed a law up there that said you, you, you can't hand out gospel tracts anymore. And he called me and he said they, they, they passed that law because of me. I said no, no, no. They're passing laws like this in a lot of places. Don't take it personal. And he said it's personal. I said, well, let me call the attorney up there, the attorney general, and I did. I said, this preacher thinks you passed this just to get him. He said, we did. He said, do you understand that man hands out 400 gospel tracts a day? Before he came, we were happy. Now, all of a sudden, everybody's worried about whether they're going to go to heaven or not. And he said it got really upsetting when the Catholic priest in our town got, quote, saved. And now has joined his church. He said, this is upsetting stuff. Oh, listen. 
Nothing more precious than getting to tell people about Jesus Christ. We're command- it is a sin not to witness. Write the second thing down. Number one, to witness. Number two, to train up our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Proverbs 22, 6. We have walked into courtrooms many times where the court ordered the kids to come with the parents. And welfare was there because if we lost, we had to bring the children and their belongings because if we lost, welfare was there to take the kids. But we have a conviction about training our children. These parents stood. Number one, to witness. Number two, to train up our children. Number three, to assemble ourselves together. Hebrews 10.25. Listen, we, we don't meet just for the sake of a meeting. The Bible says, forsake not the assembly of yourselves together. And so much the more so, and in foreign lands, I was at a church in China where they said if they catch us here, we get killed. But they still meet every week. Is that a conviction of ours? Number four, to give voice to praise and worship. Colossians 3.16. Do you understand? We're commanded by our God to raise our voice in praise. We're commanded to sing. And there's nothing worse than a Christian singing half-hearted. Because we're not singing for the benefit of each other. If we were doing it for the benefit of each other, it'd be really good if some didn't sing. We're doing it unto the Lord. Number five, we want to preach and teach the whole counsel of God's word. Romans 10, 14. What do you do when all of a sudden the culture says, no, no, you can't preach that anymore. You've got to back off of that. We have churches just now over our border to the north where they said, if you preach that anymore, we'll close you down. What are you going to do? We're commanded to preach and teach the whole council. Write number six down. The Bible commands us to abhor evil and live holy. To live holy. Holy living is not a desirable extra. It's a command from God. Where are you? Would you die for these things? My family was in the cattle slaughtering business as I grew up. And... Uh, we slaughtered five to seven thousand head of cattle a week, and that means we had five to seven thousand hides off of those cattle every week. And we would take the hides and store them in warehouses until the hide buyers came and bid on them. And I did this hundreds and hundreds of times. The way you store the hides is you put salt down, hide salt, hide salt, hide. You have to put salt in there, or they rot. And these hides are very valuable. All your purses and your shoes and all the leather goods, these hides are valuable for that. And we would stack them all the way up to the ceiling in these warehouses. One day I was with my granddad and we walked in one of the warehouses and there was a stench in the air that was overwhelming, just overwhelming. I mean, it's the kind of stench that put a taste in your mouth. 
Uh, a day later, when you spit, you still tasted it. It was terrible. And I said, Grandpa, what is that? He said, bad salt. He said, we did what we were supposed to do. The salt didn't do its job. The salt was there. But it lost its saltiness. I said, well, what can you do with these? He said, they're good for nothing. They got to be destroyed. They're worthless. And then my granddad looked at me. And he said, that's like when Christians lose their saltiness. They're good for nothing. Look in your Bibles to Matthew 5, please. We're almost done. Verse 13. Ye are the salt of the earth. You say, but I don't want to be the salt. No, this is a declaration from the lips of Jesus. We are the salt of the earth. But if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is henceforth, say out loud the next three words in unison, good for nothing. Say it out loud again. Good for nothing. Can you imagine the Son of God walking up to me and saying, you're good for nothing? Walking up to you and saying, you're good for nothing. And that's what Jesus said. He said, if you lose your saltiness, it's henceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under the foot of men. And I want to submit to you, that's what we're watching happen right now. Our liberties are being trodden under the foot of men because we have lost the precious saltiness. Now, we have an all-powerful God who gives us exactly what we need to do, who tells us how to go about this. And we can't do it in and of ourselves, and he doesn't want us to do it in and of ourselves. He wants us to have his power. Exactly what they did the disciples In whose name and in whose power did you do this? And when we have you take a stand for God, it's in his name and in his power. And he wants to use you. He plays no favorites. He will use you. Now turn to 2 Chronicles 7.14 and we're done. You know this verse. We commit it to memory. There's choir presentations on it. God says, you want to see heaven get involved? Then here's five keys. And I ask you very simply, how are you on these five keys? If my people, key number one, which are called by my name. Now, don't go any further than that little phrase, which are called by my name. Please note what it doesn't say. It doesn't say, if my people who call themselves by my name. Would anybody watching me, would anybody watching you, call you by his name? By how we speak. By how we love. Do you understand? We're commanded to love our enemies and bless them. I'll never forget the first time I walked in with a pastor and to what I considered one of the meanest women in Congress. And this preacher walked up to her and he said, 
I just want to tell you, I pray for you every day and I love you. She said, you what? He said, I love you. My faith commands it. By the way, so does mine, so does yours. We're to love our enemies. Bless them and do good to them. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves. Boy, God is so clear in James. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. And he'll lift you up. God, we can't do this. Dr. Land has been so experienced and involved. But he's just a man. He can't do this. He has to have the power of God. Pastor Sexton been so used. He has to have the power of God. All I am is a lawyer doing the best I can. But with God's power, everything changes. But I got to have God. Called by my name, humble themselves and pray. I hope you have that underlined. If you're spending more time reading your iPhone than you are praying, you're sinking the ship. We have a great hymn, Sweet Hour of Prayer, Sweet Hour of Prayer, that draws me from a world. When's the last time you spent an hour in fervent prayer? Now, everybody here believes in prayer. Nothing more powerful in the word than prayer. Moves the arm of God. And God says, ask in faith believing and ye shall receive. What are you asking for America? The word ask, repeated six times in scripture, was the word for asking with specificity. And God says, you have not because you ask not. I just know when I get to heaven, the Lord is going to say, David, why didn't you ask for more? Why? And he asks you to ask for impossible things. He says it's only impossible with man. It's never impossible with God. If I were to say, show me your prayer list for America. Show me your prayer list for your children, for your family. I have a prayer list for my precious wife. It has 62 things on it. I pray every single day for her, these 62 things. And I've shared that prayer list many hundreds of times. And if you read that list, you'd say, I want that, I want that, I want that. You'd say, I want that 62 times. There's only one problem you're not asking. And you have not because you ask not. I'm pleading with people, start asking for our nation. We have the privilege to pray. Called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face. We're not in this representing us. We're here representing the Savior. It always amazes me when we get in these battles and people say, well, I'm here representing the Republicans, I'm representing the Independents, I'm representing the Democrats. And they come around us and I say, we're here representing Jesus Christ. They almost fall off their chair. They say, how are you doing that? I said, read your Bible. It's real simple. Seek his face. And look at this and turn from their wicked ways. The problem is not sin in Washington. 
it's sin in us. I close by asking you this. When's the last time you got clean? Now listen carefully. Not cleaner, clean. I cannot tell you the number of times I've gone to the altar to get cleaner, but not clean. Well, I wanted to get something taken care of. But when's the last time you went up there and you said, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from, what's the next word? All unrighteousness. D.L. Moody used to close his crusades by saying, do not walk out those doors if you're not clean and you're a child of God. Because God wants you clean. Turn from their wicked ways. Lester Roloff, we're in the middle of a terrible trial. And he called me down to pray with him. He had a horrible habit of calling at three in the morning, four in the morning. And he'd always say the same thing. I didn't wake you up, did I? And I'd say, no, I'm just sitting here waiting for you to call. He said, get down here, we're going to pray. And I walked in his motel room and he said, before we pray, he said, I want you to get clean. So he said, get on your knees and don't come up till you're clean. And I thought, well, I don't know how to do this. I got on my knees and here's the decision I made. God, I'm not coming out of my corner until he comes out of his. Because it won't look good if I come out first. Now that's pride. So while I'm trying to get clean, I'm sinning. Finally, I said, God, do you want to be clean? He's promised to cleanse. Finally, we prayed, never forget. He said, Lord, this judge doesn't like me. Let this judge become ill so he can't be our judge. Boy, when he said that, my eyes flew open. I said, you're not asking God to kill the judge, are you? He said, no, no, no. I said, well, say that specifically. He said, okay, God, don't, don't kill the judge. I said, repeat it again. He said, don't kill the judge, Brother Gibbs is honey. And God, the, the lawyers, there's, there were 12 lawyers opposing us. 12. He said, turn these lawyers on each other. He turned to me and he said, you want to ask anything else? I said, one more time, don't kill the judge, okay? <laughs> it's true. We walked into court at 8 all rise. I stood up. Mr. Gibbs, you ready to proceed? Yes, Your Honor. The other side stood up and said, you ready? They said, no, we got a problem. They said, last night we were in complete agreement in everything, and this morning we can't agree on anything. And two of the lawyers jumped up and said, this lawsuit should never have been brought. It's wrong. It was just mean-spirited. This man does not deserve to be put in prison. This church does not deserve this. And they bickered. And the judge said, are you crazy? The jury's listening. <laughs> and finally this lawyer said, I cannot explain. Something happened this morning. I don't know what. Brother Roloff tugged on my sleeve. He said, you want me to stand up and tell him? <laughs> I said, no. Because the next thing you're going to tell the judge is he better get going to the hospital. And I don't want to have to explain that. Oh, listen. 
God says, you do these five things, and then you will hear from heaven, and you will heal your land. This First Amendment is critical to our faith. It's the very foundation of America. There never would have been a Constitution without it. There would have never been an America as you know it without it. But we've got to be a people of conviction. Our faith is resolute. Now everybody says, yeah, that's right. Well, you can't speak for anybody else, but you can sure speak in your heart for you. Would you be willing, no matter what, to say, if this costs me everything, then so be it. Because those are my convictions. And God helping us the First Amendment needs to see a people of conviction, not preference. Bow your head. To hear somebody you don't know talk about conviction is one thing. To live it and see it in your own life is another. And I've asked John, to tell us a little bit about conviction in the real world. I'm not here to brag at all, but I do have a little story that happened to me. <clears throat> when we left the farm, I had a long-time desire to drive a truck and more specifically, to own my own truck. Well, we got turned down from a couple or three companies because when I mentioned I was a Seventh-day Adventist, they immediately, somewhere back along the line, had dealt with it, and they didn't want to deal with it again. But when I applied at Mayflower, I told the HR person or the recruiter, whatever you want to call it, about it. She said, shouldn't be a problem. Just uh, we'll put a note in your file and the dispatcher will be aware and so on. So we hired on. I bought an $80,000 truck with the last money we had. Anyway, it went all right for a couple of months. And then one Friday afternoon, we emptied out, and the dispatcher said, uh, well, go, I don't know what it was, 100 miles or so, and be ready to load on Saturday morning. I told the dispatcher, I can't do that. Well, he said, you can't do that? I said, no. He was very upset, put me on hold for probably 10 or 15 minutes. I thought I was cut off for sure. But then he come back and he said, uh, I didn't know there were any of you out there anymore. He said, what's the deal? I said, I'm a Seventh-day Adventist Christian, and I don't work from Friday evening till Saturday evening. He said, uh, can you get there before sundown and drop your trailer? I said, yes, 
And he said, really now, is this a rather not or will not? And I said, this is a will not. Knowing I was putting, the, they owned the loan for my truck, so I was basically risking everything we had. Anyway, he said, can you get there before sundown, drop your trailer, and then pick it up on Sunday morning and get moving? I said, shouldn't be a problem. And after that, he watched out for us all the time. If he had a load for us, he said, I'd like to give you this load, but he said it it unloads on Saturday. I know you can't do that. Or he would say, I have a load that unloads on Saturday, but I've made arrangements for someone else to take care of it. You just be there Friday. So he watched out for us. And then when we decided to leave the company, he called us into the office and talked this for over two hours trying to get us to stay. So does it paid to stand up for your rights? It does. You can risk whatever you have to risk, whether it be your life savings in a truck that's not paid for or whatever, but it pays.